This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. We take a unique look at how race will factor in the election, specifically how foreign adversaries are trying to leverage it. Uh, they, They do that with disinformation, disinformation to widen divides that already exist in our society. That's H.R. McMaster, former national security advisor to President Donald Trump, and he's talking specifically about Russia. They, they spent about 80 they spent about 80 percent of their time and effort on dividing us on issues of race. Coming up in this episode of Colors. This program has from the beginning said that we would be apolitical. We're going to make a slight exception for that today because we're going to be talking about the election. We're going to try to stay neutral, try to stay in our lane. But nonetheless, we are going to talk about an election which, by its very nature, is political. We're not picking a side or picking on a side. We're simply going to assess the role that race did or did not play in this election. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Okay, Colors, episode number 22. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. And this is Colors. Let me start off with full disclosure. We are recording this podcast on Friday afternoon, the Friday after the election. We had hoped that by the time we recorded the podcast, the election would be over. Obviously, it's not. We don't know who's going to control the Senate for sure, and we don't know who the president is going to be for sure. So... This program has, from the beginning, said that we would be apolitical. We're going to make a slight exception for that today because we're going to be talking about the election. We're going to try to stay neutral, try to stay in our lane. But nonetheless, we are going to talk about an election which, by its very nature, is political. So with that in mind, did I get that about right, J.J.? I think you did. And I think it's impossible to avoid engaging um, this presidential election, uh, if we're going to do our job on this program, this program is, as everyone knows, is a dialogue on race in America. And, and, and pretty much everybody knows race has been a major factor in this election, more so than any other, at least in modern times. I mean, back in the 60s, it was a gigantic thing. Uh, and through that era, um, but but I think right now it's imp- we simply can't do this show without addressing this issue. Tell me why race has been a um, has been more um, prevalent in this election than others in recent times. I'm not sure I understand that. Well, first, one of the reasons why it's important in this election and has been such a big factor is because of what took place during the summer. Uh, and I mentioned this on our last podcast. Mm-hmm. The the reason that this podcast was born was George Floyd. 
um, the death of George Correct. Floyd and so many other people. That's one thing. And uh, the underlying information beneath that is that there was so many people of all races that came out into the streets, that came out on social media, traditional media, uh, and, and all came out and began dialoguing about race, their own specific personal situations, other situations, you know, their parents, you know, uh, their children. People started discussing race like they've never discussed it, at least in our era. Second thing is this election, there are more people that have voted in this election than ever before. Uh, And, you know, we know what's happening with the demographics in this country. And we know that there are more black and brown people that are registered to vote and that are voting. Third thing is other people in other places, other countries, making a big deal out of race in this country. And they're doing it covertly, slyly. We'll talk about that a little later. But those are the reasons why I said Mm -hmm. what I said. Well, it's interesting because you point out that uh, race has been a big factor in um, our country this year after Memorial Day, which is the death of George Floyd. And that's absolutely true. And yet I I saw a statistic that was uh, this was a poll that was done. (laughs) I guess now when we say polls, we don't know if. (laughs) <laughs> how accurate they are. We guess we discovered that. But this was done by, uh, let's see, uh, the Associated Press and Fox News. And it was asking voters, what's the m- most important issue in this election? Uh, number one was the coronavirus, 42 percent. Number two, the economy and jobs at 27 percent. Number three, health care at nine percent. Racism comes in at only eight percent. And then right after that comes law enforcement. The reason I bring that up is because law enforcement and racism obviously are tied together, especially in the death of uh, George Floyd. Yeah. So it, it, it surprises me that as much as we've talked about it, that when people went to the polls, that didn't seem to be as big an issue. Does that surprise you? No. And yes. But here's why I think that happened, at least from my perspective. I may be completely wrong, completely off base. But one of the things that happened with all of the polling that went on as far as this election was concerned was that there was going to be a gigantic win for one side or the other, you know, and bottom line, let me just say it honestly, um, Joe Biden was predicted to win a lot more votes. This is polling. And one of the things that I've heard repeatedly during the course of the analytical phase after the votes were in was what happened. And one of the things that I've heard repeatedly is people just don't tell the truth about who they voted for when they come out of the polls. And the other part of this, I think that's important, is race and you know racism and the police and law enforcement uh, engagement and behavior is still something people aren't comfortable talking about. I mean, they're more comfortable maybe now a little bit because we've been talking about it a heck of a lot since since George Floyd's death, but I just think p- people still aren't comfortable talking about it, so they avoid it. And by extension, when they rank things that are important to them, they put them at the bottom. Mm. That's just what I think. What do you Could think? Could be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- the other thing I, you know, you were talking about the, the um, various colors, since that's the name of our podcast that make up the electorate now in the United States. Um, again, something else that that I came across 
Uh, and that is how we voted by race. Uh, and there's one statistic in particular that I'm, I want to point out. Um, whites voted by, to, by, for uh, Trump 52 to 46. Blacks voted 91 to 7. Asians 72 to 55 in favor of Biden. And Hispanic or Latino, about two to one, about 66% for Biden and the other third uh, about for Trump. The reason I bring that up is because our conversation that we had a couple of podcasts ago with Cindy Benavides of the League of Latin American Cities, what we talked about was that Latino voters are not monolithic, that there's a big difference in um, the way they vote and the way they think if you're from Mexico or if you're from Puerto Rico or if you're from Cuba. It's important in the state of Florida where I live, because if they were monolithic, if if Hispanics were inclined to vote in overwhelming numbers, like 90 percent vote Democratic, for example, we would not we would know who the winner of the president uh, presidency is because Biden would have carried Florida. The reason he didn't carry Florida is because in um, Miami County, Dane County, uh, right around you know Miami, Fort Lauderdale area, the Cubano vote came out. Uh, strongly for President Trump. And that has to do with the fact that the Biden administration, not the Biden, but the the uh, Obama Biden administration had opened up and tried to normalize uh, relations with Cuba. And the Cuban population absolutely does not want to do that. Uh, they feel that their land was stolen from them and they are unforgiving about it. And I think that probably is what cost uh, Joe Biden the state of Florida. So that's, that's just one of the takeaways I got from taking a look at some of the analysis. Yeah. You know, as far as the, the, the Cuban vote goes, I don't they've always voted Republican. There's always been a strong um, Republican bloc, at least in, in the Miami-Dade, Florida area. Uh, although for, although Hillary Clinton won a, a larger share of vote there yes. than did Biden this time around, which is why I think I have to bring it back directly to the Obama-Biden administration trying to open up Cuba. I could be wrong about that, but I've given that a lot of thought. Yeah, yeah, I, that may be true. Um, but, um, as you know, I, I just noticed over many years that there's always been a very strong uh, Cuban vote for Republicans. But, you know, and again, no race is monolithic in any sense, um, especially when it comes to voting. Uh, and that's very apparent in the numbers that you pointed out. But one of the well, except except ninety one percent of blacks voted for uh, Biden. So that is fairly monolithic, isn't it? Well, again, you know, what is monolithic? It means everybody is the same <laughs> or everything is the same. Right. That's what I'm trying to say in that mm-hmm. 90, in that seven that you said, you, you said ninety one to seven. Correct. In that seven, you have people like um that supported Donald Trump, people yes. like Kanye West. You had people like 50 Cent. Well, Con- Kanye was actually on the ballot. Yeah, <laughs> but still, you get my point. Um, against Joe Biden, okay? Uh, yeah. Ice Cube. <laughs> okay? I don't know if you yeah. knew that or not, but... No, but... The point. I don't really look to... Um, to but either way, to either way. You know, I don't... Yeah. I, I won't denigrate any, any particular person for what they do or prop them up for what they do. They're a person. They get to choose who they choose. And what I'm saying is these are powerful people in the African-American community because a lot of people follow them. A lot of people believe in them mm-hmm. uh, and they have some significant sway. Um, that's that's all I'm saying. 
I have something I'd like to ask you about. Sure. When it comes to all of these, you know, we've all these different ethnicities that you've broken down. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that in just a few moments. This is an important conversation we're having in an important time in American history, and we've got more to say on it. As the podcast continues, you're listening to Colors. You're listening to Colors. Hi, my name is Vanessa Cárdenas, and I am a first-generation American. Um, My family is originally from Bolivia, South America, and I live in Fairfax, Virginia. I am hopeful for the millions of Latinos who have voted. I am sure that we will break records of turnout. I am hopeful for young people um, who believe in social justice and are organizing for racial justice, for economic justice, for immigrants, for action on climate change, and on and on. That's where my bet is. But today, I'm reminding my kids that we have to keep the faith and that this is our country too. Hey there, this is Malcolm Sherrod. I'm a black American from South Florida. And what do I think about race in America? I think America's biggest problem has been its constant denial that it has a race problem. However, I do think we are finally in a moment where there is a reckoning. I just hope that people will work earnestly to do the right thing and not just walk to walk, but talk to talk. Thank you. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. So as we continue our program, I want to say that little segment there, we call it Reflections on Race. I really like that because that gives us a sense of what people are thinking. And if you want to contribute one, all you have to do is record it and email it to us. We're at the colors podcast, one word, the colors podcast at gmail.com. And you can email that to us or any of your suggestions, comments, or questions. Now, Chris, I'd like to ask you when it comes to how people have conducted themselves, you know, on social media, on traditional media, after the election has been, you know, after after Tuesday, since Tuesday, since the 3rd of November, this is the 6th of November. How do you feel like people from a racial point of view have conducted themselves? Well, as you know, I try to avoid social media as much as possible because, uh, unfortunately, I, I cannot contain myself if I see something idiotic. So I tend to avoid it. I'm not not a very good um, source for that. I would just say in general that, and this is, we're trying to stay as apolitical as we can, but I saw the former Vice President Biden come out and very calmly say, look, we're going to wait till the votes are counted. And, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be talking about at the appropriate time, but we're going to be one country. And then I saw President Trump do pretty much the opposite in the White House and kind of stoke the, the flames. And that stoking of the flames is not good for this country because uh, you may be upset. You may be angry that the president lost if he loses, but trying to stir up people's um, anger and, tr- and uh, you know, it, it's not going to lead to good things. It's going to lead to more of the confrontation that we have seen all summer long. It, that, that's how I see it. 
Yeah, I'm not going to talk about the president. I'm not going to talk about Joe Biden. What I am going to talk about is what I have seen in the security world and how that impacts all of this. You know, things have been pretty calm, I think, don't you, so far? So far, but that yeah. we don't know um, That's the thing. what's going to happen when, when it, again, this gets back to how much are people, if if President Trump loses, how much are people on his side going to stir the pot and yeah, claim yeah. that the system was rigged and all that? I, I yeah. don't know the answer to that yet. No, I'm not sure no, we're going to know for sure. Nobody you know, knows. Nobody, yeah, knows. nobody knows. Nobody. It's that's not what I'm getting at. It's impossible for anybody to know. But what I am saying is, people to this point have been been calm, and that's the thing that I think is troubling so many people. We've heard people talking about being nervous and anxious and all this. It's because people are worried about what might happen, and in part, our last program we talked about this situation, responsible journalism, you know, where people need to not go out and do stories that don't really reflect reality. I mean, they reflect possibilities, but not reality. But just in terms of how people are conducting themselves, I think things have been going well. The concern, the concern that I have is as we continue through this process, there are those that all along have been stoking and looking for opportunities to push the violence button uh, right. are most likely going to intensify their efforts. But I do think that there is something that we should all consider. The people who engage in this kind of behavior are not going to do it at home. They're going to go somewhere else and do it. And cities might be targeted, but I don't think it would be in cities because, first of all, there is a large presence of police in cities and a large contingent of people that don't want, you know, to mess up their own town, their own cities. Then when you go to the smaller places, the people who might be inclined to engage in violence are known to their neighbors, to the mm -hmm. police, to each other. So it's harder to do it there and get away with it. The thing that is of most concern is the cross-border stuff people going someplace else to another city, another place and trying something there. But even that at this point, I can assure you that national security and, and law enforcement across the country, they have they have their eyes on all of this. They're watching the websites, they're watching the, the message boards, all of that. What worries me, though, is that how we look to the rest of the world if something like that were to happen, because we are so used to having a an orderly, peaceful transition of power. You go back to the closest race in American history, which was 2000, 537 votes separating um, President Bush from would be President Gore. And nonetheless, yes, there were some shouting and some you know, demonstrating and some stuff, but, but it was pretty mild. And in the end, Gore graciously conceded and we had a peaceful transfer of power. Um, that's the image that we want the world to see because we're supposed to be setting the standard for democracy. So anything that tarnishes that image really concerns me as an American. You know, we got a problem here um, because we don't have that image anymore. People from... Europe, Asia, um, South Asia, you know, South America, you know, 
Oceania, people all over the world are just really disappointed. And what they're really disappointed in is what, what what's taken place so far. And a part of what's happened with all of this is that every single thing that has done, every unsavory thing that's taken place on the public stage has been picked up and memorialized by the U.S.'s adversaries, like uh, like the Kremlin. You know, the, the Russian foreign ministry has a, has a Twitter feed. And what are they tweeting about right now? Instead of diplomatic business, what they're tweeting about right now is the number of incidents in the U.S. involving journalists, saying that it continues to increase. They say we have concern about people in the U.S. engaging in offensive acts with impunity. And what they're doing is trying to, they, they, they're, they're putting us under the spotlight. They're, they're, they're trying to blow this all up for the rest of the world to see. What the U.S. really, I think, at this point has to do is to just keep this situation that we're about to go through as as calm as possible. It's going to be a, a heavy lift, but I think it has to has to be done on all levels. Everybody has to do their own part, and they have to want to do to, it. Uh, to the um, issue of race, um, you grew up in Southern Virginia. Uh, did your parents ever feel intimidated when they went to vote? There was a time when there was a thing called a poll tax. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't until 1965 that that whole thing with the Voting Rights Act disappeared. So they were voting long before that. So the answer to your question is, therefore, in that scenario, each time you, you go to the polls and you have to pay that tax, you know what that is. You know, we don't want you to vote and we think you can't afford it. And if you can't afford it, then you're not going to vote. So we don't want you here. So it was very clear they felt that. They never talked about it, you know, good on them, because they never wanted to show that to their children. You know, fear is something that wasn't born in us. It's not a spirit we were born with. It's something that's often instilled in us because of experiences and other people. That's the way that we were raised. But yes, they did experience it. So in your situation... Did you find yourself asking this question uh, as a young man, or when did you when did when did it occur to you that that might be an issue? Yeah, it it didn't occur to me that it was a, an issue. Um, certainly, when I was really young, um, because you know I grew up in in um, in Iowa, and probably at that point, ninety eight percent white Iowa. Um, the, there were a few black families that lived in the town I grew up in and, um, you know, we all got along with each other and there wasn't any intimidation. Nobody, nobody felt unlucky, uh, felt unwelcome at the polls. Um, I became aware of it more as I grew up and more as I, you know, I, I mean, I told you about the, when we had Ernie Green on from the Little Rock Seven is that Little Rock Nine, you know, he was one of my heroes because I was just shocked at that picture that the whole world has seen of the National Guard having to escort these kids into Little Rock Central High School. So probably I I would say he may. That's why he's kind of a hero of mine is he may have put the whole issue on the map because I could relate to that because I wasn't all that different in age. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, We're facing some of the things that we've gone through before, like what Ernie faced in 
and talked about with us and other people that we've talked about, we're going through it again because as time passed, people didn't forget about it. People did not lose track of it. People were fully aware of it. People knew what was going on, but people simply didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to engage it. They didn't want to talk to their children about it. People didn't want it to change. I mean, that's that's the bottom line on what's happening. There are those who are younger people who are perpetrating some of this now. Like I said a few minutes ago, you know, people about fear. You know, we're not born with a spirit of fear. People aren't born hating. I mean, babies. You 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 know what I'm getting at here. You see a yeah. baby, a child, they always reach out to you. Rick Walker told us that. Uh, former Washington yeah. football team su- Super Bowl champion told us that. Um, but you know what? We're 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 in a peculiar place right now because there is so much leftover hate, so much leftover angst and anxiety um, because of things that haven't been dealt with, and some people are shying away from it. But you know, we're not. We're facing this head on and we have to deal with it. I'd like to ask you a question about the voting breakdown, the the way the votes went. This is not a political mm-hmm. question. It's 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 about race. This race was this 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 presidential election was a lot closer than many people thought it would be. And you talk to both sides, they have very unflattering things to say about the other. There are things that unflattering things that are said about President Trump. There are unflattering things that are said about Joe Biden. But still, the the breakdown of votes, people voted for them. What I mean, how does that work? I mean, yeah, some, I, 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 some I, of no, it. I get where you're. I get where you're going with it. I think. Um, I think. Well, well let me let that, me just let me just erase the think part and make it clear where I'm going with this is. Some of the stuff which you mentioned earlier in this podcast that one of the candidates has said is flat out wrong. It's not true. And people know that. But and it's not something that just happened. But they still voted for him. You can say the same thing about the other candidate. People say some of the things this candidate has done and said have been wrong and not true. But still, people voted for him. So, like I said, this is not a political thing. I'm just asking the question: Why is there such a big divide? And I, here's here's what I think. Um, I think that what has happened is um, there's social media, which allows people to say things without any fact checking for the most part. There is talk radio. Uh, in which people get on the air. And I say this as somebody who did talk radio for a long time, but there's not a fact checker sitting there next to the host to say, well, wait a minute, that's not quite right. Or that needs context or whatever it is. Uh, And I would say that the same thing is true with a lot of the cable television shows that are on that really after a certain hour at night are about opinion. They're not about fact. So if you're watching uh, Laura Ingram or if you're watching Chris Cuomo uh, or if you're watching Don Lemon or a- any of the, the the talk shows, Lawrence O'Donnell, um, those they have a political viewpoint and they say it as they as they see it or whatever. And they do stir up feelings, strong feelings among usually it's people that, you know, people that watch those shows tend to watch the shows they agree with. And that just reinforces uh, their belief and it stirs up strong feelings. And the same thing with social media and the same thing with talk radio. That's what's different now than it was 
say, 20 years ago, before when when there was a um, there was media was trying, at least I was been in this business a long time, JJ, media was trying to be fair and trying to really be balanced. And now media really is not. It's it's going for ratings. And that, you know, we're not going to censor it. They can do what they want. We had the First Amendment. But you ask why things are getting so stirred up. I think that's those are some of the reasons. Yeah. You know, we don't have the answer to who the winner is at this hour. Um, it, It will obviously come and we will move forward. We will get through all of this to see another day. Um, in order to get from one day to the next, you have to go through something that's called the night. The night is dark, and there is a point in the night where it's darker than it's ever been before it starts getting lighter again. We will get to that point. We're dark right now, but we will get to that point. Uh, and my only thought about that, Chris, is that we just need to keep focused on the positive so that we can get to the next day. And that is so beautifully put that I don't even want to add anything to it except an exclamation point that you're absolutely right. Um, So God bless this country and let's uh, let's try to make it a better one. I'm Chris Core and I'm white and I'm J.J. Green and I'm black and this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. Um, what happened was I uh, kind of announced to my followers uh, just on Instagram um, that I was giving away these postcards for free. Sasa Akil is 17 years old and she's running a postcard campaign called A Man Was Lynched Yesterday. And she's sending these postcards to everyone she can reach. Um, and I was asking them to write to their uh, representatives, their uh, elected officials, basically anyone they could think of um, in any position of power um, and tell them specifically that we have an issue with the death of George Floyd, but also that we just have an issue with the deaths of black people in America um, and at the hands of police um, and tell them that we, we want to change. She's brilliant, humble, funny, and her story is one you don't want to miss. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. That's all the time we have today. And before we go, we always like to say thank you to some very important people. Kyle Cooper, Del Walters, Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Greg Strassel, Audrey Henson, Ernie Green, Ann Core, Tabitha Core, Gina Bazemore, Sam Millstone, Dimitri Sotis, Stephanie Gaines Bryant, Kevin Stanfield, Jamal Bowens, Ellie Rowe, Hagar Chamali, Antonello Favro, Casper Mangalit, and for the music, Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Patrick Patrickios. And most of all, a big thank you to you for listening. And remember, just keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.